Welcome to the Not Just a Pony Ride podcast, presented to you by Hetra University. If you've landed here, you're probably passionate about how horses help people. This podcast is for anyone who helps others experience the benefits of horses or those who have experienced it themselves. If you're in the equine assisted services industry, we're here to help you. If you're here just to learn more, you're in the right place. Welcome to your community of like-minded people where you will hear stories, education, science, and explanations about how what we do is so much more than just a pony ride. And now, from the Hetra campus in Gretna, Nebraska, here's your host, occupational therapist and CTRI, Katie Ott. Happy New Year, everyone. Welcome back to the show and the kickoff of season three. It seems wild to think we're already in our third year of this podcast, but we just absolutely couldn't do it without all of you out there listening along. So thank you for that. As we start the adventure of season three this year, I want to remind you all of a few things. If you aren't a member of the official Not Just a Pony Ride Facebook page, go search it and ask to join. We share a lot of exclusive content there and start a lot of good conversations, so go over and join that. And while you're there, give us some good suggestions for topics. I mean, any burning question that you have about the industry at all. Anything goes. So at the top of the Facebook page, there's a t-shirt giveaway thread. And if you comment there, you can actually get a chance to win a t-shirt too. There are a lot of new and just really exciting things that are going to happen this year. And I can't wait to see what's all in store. So stay on this ride with us and you can find out with me what all is next. Okay, well, here it is. Episode 44, the first episode of season three. And it's all about budgeting. It seems a little daunting and maybe you're even thinking, eh this might be dry. I don't know if I'll listen, but you should because it's really important. And Edie and Aaron are here to try and make it digestible and easier to understand. They've been doing it for Hetra for many, many, many years and have all but perfected the science of it. So if you were in the Facebook group, I did ask if you knew how to figure out exactly what the cost per session is for your center. And if you were one of those people that wanted to know more, let's get to it. Welcome back to the show, Erin and Edie. I'm excited to have you guys on today for the first episode of the new year. We are starting season three. Can you guys believe that? Season three of the podcast. Crazy. I know. I'm so excited. Um, I, I really loved how the first two seasons have turned out and I'm so excited to see where season three goes. Yeah, we've had some exciting guests on and learned a lot and went on a lot of adventures. And I think that this year will be will be the same, if not more of an adventure. So we're going to kick off this season with a topic that I think a lot of people are going to be interested in. And it's a good one for planning for year 2023. Uh, and that is budgeting. So um, before we get in... <laughs> we get into the meat and potatoes of today. Um, why don't really quick Edie and Aaron, why don't you guys introduce yourself and tell us who you are to Hetra and what makes you so qualified to talk about budgeting today? Okay. My name is Edie Godden and I am the CEO at Hetra and I have been with Hetra since 1991. So going on 30 plus years. Um, as most of you know, if you know me, my background is actually in occupational therapy, um, and I'm very passionate about being a therapist. Um, so budgeting is, is not really in occupational therapy school. 
Um, so it's something that I've certainly learned as a result of my time and, and um, activities with HETRA. Um, but it's something I have become quite passionate about because a, a well-designed budget really provides you with a plan for how you're going to get to the end of, of the year and how you're going to do that successfully. Um, I'm Erin. I am the COO at HETRA, and um, I've been with the organization since 1996, so going on 27 years. Um, and I'm not sure how I'm qualified, so um, I actually have a degree in equine science, um, but I also have a passion for admin work and um, you know, helped ED develop our very first budget way, way back when, um, and have really gotten to learn how important budgeting is and reaching your goals. Um, I'll never forget you know, some of those first years when ED said, okay, we've got to raise X amount of dollars in this fundraiser. And we all just get really glassy eyed going, how in the world are we going to do that? But sitting back and breaking down and putting a, together a budget really made it uh, more attainable. So um, we've learned over the years how to build a good budget and um, and make our organization successful. That's right. And you two have worked together um, since, you know, way back when to keep developing our budgeting process. And it gets better and better every year. You guys always say that um, it gets easier. Well, I don't know if you, I don't know. Would you guys say it gets easier or it gets more familiar maybe? <laughs> Definitely. We learn, we learn something new every year, um, but I do think it becomes more streamlined every year for sure. And I, I think as our program grows and we offer different services, it does make it more complicated. Um, but I think like Aaron said, we learn things and we have a process. And so we're able to break that down pretty quickly and not have to recreate the wheel for a new program. Right. So let's talk about, you know, you guys have already talked a little bit about why budgeting is important. So how, how do you even start? I mean, so you have a program, you need to start budgeting when and where do you start in this whole process? So I, I think the general answer to that question is it depends on where you're at in your program growth, right? So if I am just starting a program, then I don't have any baseline information to go from, right? So I'm building a lot of information or I have to gather a lot of information from other sources. If the program has been up and running for a period of time, um, you have good information to start with. Um, and I'll let Aaron kind of go into the details of what we what we gather when we get ready to start the budgeting process. Yeah, so um, we usually start budgeting in um, October is kind of our target um, time frame to, to get started on that. And um, we actually look back at the two to three previous years um, and as well as our current year. Um, so the very first thing we actually do is look at our current year and we forecast um, where we think we're going to end this year. Um, and so we look at, you know, October, November, December, based on what we budgeted last year, what's happened this year, and, and where we think we're going to end the year in all of our major categories. Um, and then once we've kind of finished our forecasting, um, we get a very complicated Excel spreadsheet starting to put together. Um, we have columns for at least the previous two years' actuals. 
um, the previous two years budgets um, and then our forecast for this year. Um, and that gives us a lot of, of good information as far as where we're trending or what we've done in the past and, and then where we need to go in the future. So that's kind of the baseline information we get before we even start looking at budgeting for the following year. So I'm assuming we keep a track, we track a lot of data and run a lot of reports and do a lot of those things. I mean, how are we helping ourselves to make sure that we have, you know, a lot of that data from previous years and and that kind of thing? Yeah. So, you know, a lot of the information, the important information that we gather is first looking at your financials. So your income, your expenses, we use QuickBooks um, and we track all of that very diligently and can run reports out of QuickBooks for that information. But then we also have a lot of programming data that we look at when we're budgeting as far as um, how many hours of of programming did we complete in certain programs that we offer. Um, So we offer multiple different types of programs from adaptive writing therapy. Um, We have uh, carriage driving. We do mental health services. We have a life skills program. So there's lots of different variables that come in when we start looking at those programs. But being able to know like how many participants we served in each program, uh, how many hours of programming we completed um, are also really important in the budgeting process. So record keeping in those areas, we improve on that every year. And um, but it's also really, really critical when we're looking at the budgeting process. Right. And all of those records and reports and budgeting and all of that obviously lends well to toward grants and you know when we go to apply for those things but everything just to me seem well to me seems very foreign because I'm not I'm not a budgeter but um as as I'm sure some people that are listening right now are thinking too but how do how do we even start to budget for something when we're a nonprofit right i mean we might have grants we might do fundraising we might do all kinds of things. So how do we know, to me, it gets blurry where are we in the black or the red or technically, you know, how does, how do you start to sort some of that out, I guess, when it comes to donations versus, you know, earned income? So I I think your earned income is a little bit easier to budget for because you have that past data to say, okay, we saw 50 people in each course, and this is how much money it brought in. And we anticipate we can see 55 in each course this year. So there's definitely some more objective numbers you can put behind that. Um, When you're talking about donations and fundraisers and grants, that gets a little bit trickier, I think, as you said, because you know, we don't necessarily have the same foundation that supports us year after year after year. Not every donor is going to come back the next year. Um, So we really start in those areas to look at trends. So like Aaron said, we look back to what happened last year, and we may even look back to what happened a couple of years ago. Um, We, so that we can help to start to build a trend. If it's an area like maybe for our big fundraising gala that we want to increase, we talk about what does that look like? So we're going to bring this much more in sponsorship. We want this many more people to attend. We want the auction to be able to bring in this much money. So we really put a plan behind it. Um, So yeah, I I do think that gets more tricky. Erin, do you have anything to add to that? Yeah. And I think, I think breaking down those, those pieces smaller. So 
like he was saying with the fundraiser, you know, we need to increase this fundraiser by 10, 15, 20% next year. Well, that could be a really big number, but if you break it up and say, okay, we need to bring this much more in sponsorships and then even go down further from that and say, okay, within sponsorships, we need this many at this level, this many at this level, many at this many at this level. And then the same for options, like, you know, we need so many packages that are at this value, so many packages at this value. When you start breaking it down into the smaller pieces, I think that's when it becomes more attainable um, and it's easier for others to get behind you when you can say, okay, yeah, this is a really big number, but if we work as a team and we break down into these smaller pieces, it's much easier to get there. Right. So I think that once when we go into a fundraiser, when we go into an event or go into something, there's you you think you have a bottom line because you know you need to meet this this budget, which is what you guys do for us at the at the end of the year at the beginning of the year. When do you guys when do you guys budget for the next year? We usually start in October. Um, so beginning of beginning middle of October um, is when we start to, to gather the data for the next year. Um, so our goal is always to have our completed budget ready to submit to our finance committee at our November meeting. Um, and then once it's gone through our finance committee in November, then in December, early December is when it goes to our full board to be approved. Um, and then that allows us, you know, to have a finished completed budget for the next year. Got it. Okay. So you set up this budget and, and all of that for us. Um, and we know how much money we need to raise at this fundraiser or um, in this event or whatever it is. But so let's go back to the very, very basics of it. So why, why, why are we fundraising for this? Because what we're doing has a cost associated with it, right? So how do we determine <laughs> what cost is? We are kind we are definitely a different type of business. Our partners, though very valuable in the work that we do, um, are some of the more expensive co-workers you can have, our horses. Um, and so how do we start to determine what it's going to cost uh, us to run programming specifically, what does cost per session look like and how do we start to figure that out? So I think that goes back to how complicated and how many different types of programs that you run um, that that will help you determine how complicated your, pro your process is. Um, we run several different types of programs and we've added programs. And so that makes our process pretty complicated. But I think if you keep it in the simplest form, um, so say our program offered adapted writing and we didn't offer any other programs. So, and say last year, our expenses for our program were $100,000 and we did 500 adapted writing sessions. So we would just take that $100,000 divided by the total number of, of writing sessions that we completed, and that would give us a cost per each session. So that's in its very simplest form. And I'll let Erin go into the more complex form that we utilize. Yeah. So, um, yeah, when we're budgeting, we look at, we have about eight different programs that we're offering right now, and we look at lots of different variables there. Um, we pull together how many participants did we serve in each of those programs last year, as well as how many hours uh, did we hours of programming did we complete in each of those programs? And then we kind of take the average of those two to figure out what percentage 
um, of our overall programming is is that specific program. And then we basically apply a percentage to each expense um, and then get our cost per hour. And then if it's a 30 minute session, then we cut that in half and say it's, you know, this per 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 30 minute session. Um, some more complicated variables that we're going to start looking at here is we're offering a lot more um, like equine assisted learning or ground programming where we might be seeing five to 10, 15 people in one session and just using one horse and a couple staff and a couple volunteers. So it's hard to compare that session to a therapy session where we have one horse, one participant, three four, three volunteers, and, and a therapist that we're paying. So that's something we're going to be looking at this next year and kind of changing up some of the variables and how we're figuring out cost per session. Um, and I think I think that trend is happening a lot in the equine assisted services industry where a lot more people are offering those grant programming and the equine assisted learning programming. Um, and that could could change things for you a little bit on how you're looking at those numbers. Right. So when we think about uh, applying that percentage to your expenses, what expenses are you looking at? I mean, obviously what you're paying your staff, right? What are some of the other yeah. expenses that you apply that to? Um, we took it down pretty far as far as what, um, what expenses we're looking at, but some of the basics would just be like, if you have any advertising or if you have any like dues or subscriptions or um, fuel fundraising expenses, your horse expenses, insurance, um, what you're paying your staff, um, any supplies that you're utilizing, your utilities. Um, so those are some of the basics um, that you're looking at as far as expenses go. Okay, so really applying that percentage to to really everything. Yeah. yeah, and this this information comes in really handy when we're applying for grants too. So if we're looking for funder to fund our life skills, the horse expense for our life skills program, for for example, or or for a therapy program, we can pull up this document that we have and easily see that last year we spent X amount of dollars in horse expenses on our therapy program. So we can really break that down for funders and, and give them some accurate data there. It, it also allows you in a lot of grant applications, you know, you might have a funder that says we're not going to pay for any administrative or any overhead or any staff or any stuff, you know. So you can pull out those pieces that they're not going to pay for and still have your budget and be able to prepare your budget for that grant, depending on what the funder wants. Right. So if this is all still sounding a little bit like a foreign language to um, people who are listening. Who are people that helped us in the beginning? And um, I know you said we have a finance committee and we also, um, our board is also an active part of our budget. So who do you have to help in our quarter? Um, I think our, our finance committee has been um, very integral in helping us develop this method that we're using for programming. And it's not like they sat down and said, you have to do this exactly like this. It was them asking the hard questions, um, you know, and and then Edie and I going back and going, okay, how do we figure this out? Um, and, you know, over time, year after year, they ask more and more hard questions and, and we just get a little bit better at it every year. But finding that group of people, the, the finance-minded, analytic type people, business people that can really help 
guide you and and ask those questions or or help guide you through that process, I think have been really, really important to us. And I, I think one of the, the really important things to remember about your budget, it isn't a one and done. So you're not done once it's approved. Like we go back and visit our budget with the finance committee every other month. Um, it gets presented back to the board as to where we're at for budget every um, every board meeting, which is quarterly for us. Um, Aaron and I are looking at it frequently um, throughout the, the month to see where we're at, how close we are. And we really try to share that information with our staff so that they understand when they hear Aaron and I saying, hey guys, we really need to get our focus on, on the gala so that we make sure that we have enough sponsors. Here's how short we are in, in what our goal is. Um, so I feel like the budget, um, yes, we work on it a lot at the end of the year, but then it's our guiding document that we use throughout the year in order to make sure we finish where we need to finish. Would you say the majority of centers have a finance committee or is that specific to us? I don't know. Yeah, that's a good question. Um, I would say um, my guess is it's it's not maybe super common, but it's also not uncommon for a, a board of directors to have a finance committee. Um, sometimes if your board is a little bit smaller, you're a little bit newer, your board in general may be serving as your finance committee. So it might not be a separate committee. It may be an entire board. And there's not a right or wrong to that. It's just making sure you know, somebody from that board side of things um, is helping to guide in that process. Um, and again, when I guide, um, the board does not set our budget for us. Aaron and I do that. They provide us some guidance as far as, you know, what do we need to look for? What do we need to anticipate for inflation or increases next year? They, like Aaron said, they ask us the hard questions that then we take back and say, okay, that's a great question. How how are we going to accommodate for that for this year or for this next year? So, mm -hmm. so the board doesn't set our budget. I guess I've heard that a few times from different um, executive directors is them saying, well, the board set our budget at this. And, you know, I just can't, how can I, you know, how can I make that work if my horse expenses are, you know, only set for $5,000 this year and I need 10 horses in my program? So, you know, we, we, we help to set or we, we set that and, and we get guidance from the board and the board approves the budget um, and definitely has feedback into it, but it's all based on information that has been gathered over the last several years. Right. I could see it being difficult. Um, I don't know if there is anybody listening, but for me, what would be intuitive would be oh my gosh, I have this business and I have to make a budget. I'm just going to call a CPA or I'm just going to call somebody who knows how to do this, um, which is good, you know, good to have that support. Um, but yeah, are, they aren't going to understand things like you spend how much in vet bills and, and, you know, what would be reasonable, I guess, to set for different budget areas. Exactly. Exactly. And, and the other thing is um, you have to have the buy-in of your staff who have to carry out that budget, right? So if if we set a budget of X amount for our, our grants this year and we haven't 
review that with our grants person, um, they might be like, uh, I know I can't double the grants budget this year. <laughs> what is your <laughs> thinking, you know? Um, so we really have to have the buy-in from the staff um, in order for them to help us to reach those goals. And that's getting their input as well. Right. And I think that transparency that um, you both have with us as staff with the budget um, helps everybody else stay motivated as well. So it's not just the the grants person or the, you know, development person that's working on this big event. It's, you know, how does everybody contribute to that budget and what can we do to help improve the bottom line too? Right. And, and I think, like you said, Katie, it might seem easier to let somebody outside that might have more experience or understanding of finances create your budget. But I will tell you, that's not likely going to be an easier budget for you to follow. And, and maintain and manage. And so I would really encourage people to, yes, get, get their assistance and get their mentoring in the process, but for them to take a very active role, learn and understand it. Um, you know, at Hetra, we do offer our mentorship program. And if anybody ever wanted some assistance, um, we'd sure be happy, you know, to help them out through that program as well. It's definitely not an easy part of our job, um, but it is something that keeps us on the right track. And that check-in with our finance committee every couple months um, keeps that accountability piece there um, and make sure that we don't ever get too far off track um, that we can't recover before the end of the year. Right. I think communicating with your board um, is is important as well when things don't go the way that you planned. So, you know, a budget is kind of like looking into a glass ball with maybe some pieces of information that will help you get there. But but things happen, right? So um, we can, last year we had a storm come through and tear off part of our roof and we had a big insurance payment that came in, but then we had an insurance expense with our expense going out when we repaired the roof. So we had these two areas that were kind of inflated that um, happened at the beginning of the year that threw a couple categories off. And and but we told the the board about that or the finance committee about that throughout the entire year, so they weren't surprised. Um, we had a horse that had to have surgery last year. We fundraised for that surgery, um, but that really inflated our horse's expenses last year. So, you know, things like that and communicating with your board so that when it comes to the end of the year and you look at your end of the year financials, they're not surprised um, when those things show up. Right. And how do we plan for that in our budget? Because it's true in working with Courses, there's things that are variable. They could have, you know, need a surgery or need something like that. But again, that's another reason why we're looking at that, those numbers constantly. Because um, if something happens in January, February, or, you know, first quarter um, that we weren't expecting, we've got some time to figure out, okay, how are we going to recover? How are we going to make up for this? Well, we need to raise an extra X amount of dollars at our fundraiser in April, or, you know, this campaign has to do just a little bit better to make up for that. Um, so we are constantly, you know, evaluating those numbers and seeing where we're at. It really lends itself well to the fact that we compare several years, you know, I think you said up to three years 
you know, when we're starting to forecast for the next year, because you could have a year like 2020, which was like, you know, we're all trying to forget about that year in general. So, um, you shouldn't yeah. always compare just to one year. You know what I mean? It, 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 an average is best. Yeah. And honestly, we, we've kind of taken 2020 a little bit out of the mix when we're looking at budgeting because it was a three year, we were off programming for two months and, we had a lot of great community support. We we got a lot more grants that year. We got a lot more um, federal funding that year than obviously we're ever going to get again. So it was just such an anomaly um, that we've kind of, to some extent, taken it out of the equation um, when we're looking at and forecasting and or looking back in, in the past. So those things can happen. I, I just think when you have an anomaly like 2020, I think even 2021 was still a bit of an anomaly um, because some organizations had PPP funding and, and some other things that, that came in and helped. You have to think about, like, I can't just plan that because my budget was this last year, it's going to be this. You got to really know where that's going to come from. And, and maybe it's you had a big donor or you had a big grant that came in. If you don't have you know, really good knowledge that you're going to get that grant again. Um, you got to have a plan for where, where do you make up for that in your budget? Or do you make your budget different based on the fact that that one big grant won't be coming in? Um, because, how, you know, you got to, you got to plan for those things ahead of time. I think piggybacking off of that, I think it's it when we're budgeting and looking at our sources of income, um, we really try to diversify where our income's coming from. Um, I think I've seen some programs and some nonprofits, you know, not be successful because they had a big donor that came in and gave them a big operating grant or, you know, something. And they said, okay, we're going to give this to you for, I don't know how many years. Um, but then that funding goes away and they don't have any other sources of income and then they're in trouble. Right. So, we have individual donors, we have grant funding, we have campaigns, we have our programming. So we really try not to put all our eggs in one basket so that if that funding does happen to go away, we're, we're not putting ourselves in a bad position. That's exactly right. I think that the budgeting process is great for forecasting where we need to be um, and also a really great protective measure, right? For um, keeping your centers sustainable and, and going no matter what happens. Sure. So if you guys could give advice to somebody that hasn't even really started this budgeting process, but is, is listening to this and thinking, gosh, I really need to start doing this. <laughs> what would be your, your first step to them? So if they have, um, if they do not currently have an active program, um, I would probably at least start to understand things like what are the horse expenses in your area? And you could get that from another board, right? Um, so how much does it cost to feed a horse for their shavings, for their vaccinations, for their farrier care? How much does all that cost per horse and how many horses am I gonna have in the program? Um, you know, what, what does your barn cost for electricity and what does your barn cost for um, manure removal? And, and so I think you can go to another facility, horse facility in your area, if you don't have, you know, if you're starting from scratch and you can get some information from them as far as that goes. 
Um, and then I think you can also um, look at other nonprofits in your area. So we have a nonprofit association in the Midlands here that that um, is a great um, a resource for all of the nonprofits. I think probably five or 600 nonprofits belong to that organization. And we can go out there and we can um, tap other people's brains. Like, okay, tell me what other things that as a nonprofit you might experience that a typical business does not. Um, and what are your income categories? And just start to get some ideas to build it from there. Mm -hmm. um, if you're starting completely from scratch, you you can't just pull numbers out of the air. You still got to have some basis for that information. Right. And I think it's also really important to look, um, it, it might be easier to kind of reach out in a Facebook group to other EIS programs, but really be cognizant of, of what's happening in your region. Um, because like what it costs to feed a horse in California or New York is way different than what it costs to feed a horse in the Midwest. Um, so, you know, like you said, the Nonprofit Association of the Midlands has been a huge resource for us, um, even when looking at salaries. So they do an, an annual salary survey um, and we can go in and look at, you know, in the region, what what is a development director creating? bringing in or what is a um, program director bringing in because um, those are the the organizations we're competing with for staff um, so that gives us a really a good idea of what what we should be paying our staff right I think that's a whole nother conversation that a lot of centers are having right now as well is what should we be paying our staff um, but that's a whole yeah. other soapbox for another day that's <laughs> Yeah, that's a whole nother podcast. <laughs> yeah, and I've seen that I've seen that come up a lot. And that I will tell you is one area for the most part. I don't think we should be comparing to other programs, even other programs in our areas, because I think pretty traditionally uh, the industry is underpaying their staff. And I think if you look at your program compared to another nonprofit in your area like Aaron said, for a development director, um, you're going to find that you you are nowhere near being competitive um, to what you need to be. So I, I think, again, that's a big soapbox for me is we need to pay people fair wages um, in order to do this work. That's true. All right. Well, is there anything else? You know, I think um, it, it, sometimes might seem to people, especially, you know, we know people getting into this industry, they might love horses, they might love working with people, they might have experience working with people with disabilities, maybe they don't have the business background. And so that stuff kind of gets put on the back burner. But I promise you, the sooner you move it to, you know, a very important task, the, the sooner you're going to find that your organization is going to start moving forward, you're going to you're going to feel um, sustainable. You're going to decrease your stress because you have a plan. And, um, you know, even if the plan isn't going exactly the way you want it to, you can go back and look at what's happening and how do you tweak that. But if you don't have the information in front of you in the first place, um, you, you don't know what's happening. You don't know why you are where you are. and um, take the time to learn the process, understand the process, and don't just put it into somebody else's hands. Mm -hmm. 
All right. Well, thank you both for joining me today to talk about this important topic. Um, Edie said it said it best. I think if you don't have a, a map in front of you, you're just you're flying blind. And that budget is a really, really great map for centers to remain sustainable and active. So yes, absolutely, which is is super important because we know the services we provide are you know, essential and they're essential to those individuals that we're helping and we're and we're improving their quality of life each and every day. And if we go away, who's going to step up and do that? So we need to make sure our programs are sustainable. That's right. And if that means I have to sit down and look at numbers for a few hours a day, then by golly, we'll do it, right? <laughs> Katie, we'll share with you. It's a little more than a few hours. <laughs> Don't say that. We'll edit that. You know, that's the other, that I guess that's the other little piece of advice I'd have give to people. Um, even when Aaron and I budget, we break it down into steps or periods of time. So we say, okay, we're going to work on it two hours today. And then we're going to revisit again next Wednesday for two hours. And then and every time we come back to it, we see something differently um, that we can tweak or change or that we really like the way we did that or we want to change the way we did that. We want to add a little bit more information. Um, so I, I, if you're going to do this, and I think, Katie, you had a really good point, like, gosh, if it's going to take more than a couple hours, I, I'm not going to do it. Um, don't overwhelm yourself by trying to think tomorrow I'm going to sit down and make our budget for all of next year because <laughs> likely that is going to be too overwhelming and you're going to miss things because you're going to do things in that session that when you come back to it again, you're going to be like, oh, shoot, we didn't include this or that number should be a little different. And so each time you come back and visit it, you're going to drive it to be more successful. Absolutely. All right. Well, before I let you guys go, I have an important question. So if you've been listening to the podcast for the last two seasons, you know that we end the podcast with a question and I've been changing it every season. So this year, Aaron and Edie helped me come up with our, our question of the season. And that is, if you had to give your younger self some advice as related to the career you're in now, what would that be? Yeah, so I've thought on this a little bit. I think for me, it's having faith. <laughs> um, have faith in the process. Uh, have faith that we're going to get there. Um, if if I could look back at my, if I had known where we would be now back then, I'd, I'd be shocked, but I'm so proud of what we've done um, and how this program has grown and all the people we've helped and all the lives we've touched. It's just been amazing. But I think just having faith that, that it's going to work out, that we've put the time and energy and effort into things and, and we're going to be successful because of, of what we've built or the steps we put in place. It was all worth it. It was all worth it for sure. Edie, what about you? What advice would you give your younger self? So it's funny because Aaron and I haven't talked about this question, um, but you can tell we've been working together way too long. <laughs> My answer is very similar. And it and I would tell myself that it's all going to turn out even better than you thought it was. Yeah. So yeah. just hang in there. 
and and the hard day there's still going to be hard days but there's also going to be some really amazing days and you're going to meet a really amazing group of people from your staff and your volunteers and your um, participants and the horses that you get to be that that get to be a part of your life that it's such an amazing experience and it's worth it um yeah, so that's what I would say. It's worth it because I know in the early days, sometimes it's really it's really hard to say, is this worth it? But it truly, truly is. Mm-hmm. Well, I'm sure we'll both have you on again this year. Don't be strangers. Um, and of course, if anybody has any questions about budgeting and wants a little help in this area, Edie mentioned already, but uh, don't hesitate to reach out to um, myself or go over to heterouniversity.org and check out our mentoring program. Thank you very much for joining me. Thanks, Katie. Thanks, Katie. Thanks for listening to another episode. Until the next one launches, stay connected to our community by joining the Not Just a Pony Ride Facebook group. There, we share exclusive educational content, answer your questions, and review new and exciting developments for the EAS community. Don't forget, if you have suggestions for future episode topics or a lead on a great guest that you think our audience would enjoy, click on the link in the show notes or visit us at hetrauniversity.org. This podcast is presented by Hetra University, an educational arm of the Heartland Equine Therapeutic Writing Academy. Hetra University's mission is to provide high-quality educational offerings to our participants and the EAS community. If you'd like to help us work toward our mission, you can make a donation by visiting us online at hetra.org. Again, I can't thank you all enough for helping Hetra change lives one stride at a time.